Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so that you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Michael Welchel. Recognizing that impact investing isn't just a different way of investing, but a superior way of deploying capital, Michael is committed to challenging the status quo and to raising the expectation of capital. In 2007, the old economy, driven by the single gear of profit maximization, reached a dead end in the financial crisis. It was a moment of reckoning during which Michael left his 15-year career in private equity to form Big Path Capital with his partner, Sean Lesser, leveraging the engine of capitalism for an expansive economy built on natural, social, and financial capital. Michael has worked with over 150 impact and sustainable companies and funds, more than any firm in the sector. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. I'm so delighted to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Ursula, I really appreciate the um, invitation. So, Michael, I've—I um, mean, your company is very committed to impact investing, and I'm wondering why is that important to you? Why have you chosen to focus on that? Yes, yeah, so uh, we—you know—Big Path. Uh, we're we're an impact investment bank. So what that means is we work with um, companies private companies and funds, helping them raise capital, or if the founders are ready to you know, have a liquidity event, um, to look at either minority or majority sale of the company, we help them through that finding mission-aligned investors. And for us, you know, we're really, at our, our kind of deeper mission is around raising the expectation of capital. I, mean, I think most people think um, that capital kind of has a single gear, and that is financial return. And so we're, we're you know, trying to broaden people's perspective that the power of capital, their expectation of capital, should really um, include not just financial, but environmental and social returns. And so I think you know, we all want to be savvy investors, and you know, savvy investors are those who get the most out of their investment. And so at some level, if you're, if you're only investing in that single gear um, for financial return, you're limiting your upside and you're leaving social, environmental, even possibly financial return on the table. So we, we like to kind of flip it and say, not why would I want to do this, but you know, why wouldn't you? And really it's, it's a, we, we just see it as a, as a uh, you know, better way to deploy capital period. Well, and certainly the research has shown that companies that are focused on the, the well-being of all stakeholders, and that includes the environment, actually perform better financially. So there's, there's actually research to back that up. It's exactly. not just nice to have. Yeah. There was a, there was a, I recently, there was a McKinsey study and it was more focused on diversity, um, you know, both gender and ethnic diversity in the workplace. And they had studied, I mean, it's like a thousand companies worldwide and they found that this to me is amazing statistic. Um, I don't know why it's not, it's not touted more, but for every 10% increase in your, diversity, 
of your workforce, um, there's a 0.8% increase in your profitability. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about that study. That's that's very, I mean, that's a that's a large study as well. So they've, yeah, they got some really solid data there. So yeah, I mean, wh what do you think are the long-term implications of looking at the economy more expansively, the way that you described? Yeah, I think the, um, I mean, hopefully it, you, we create an economy that's, you know, less extractive. Um, you know, I heard a quote recently that, you know, nature never takes more than it needs. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think for our economy to ultimately, you know, survive, you know, more than, you know, a few thousand years that, that some of this has to get internalized. So much of, you know, a lot of these costs were currently externalizing, but I think taking this viewpoint really, I think, helps to create an economy that, that does um, outlive us. And so at this point, I think it's, you know, kind of the data is showing that it, it's primarily an extractive tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned diversity. So um, I, I know you had written uh, about diversity being a competitive advantage in venture capital. And, and one of the things you said was that talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it, here again, I think it, it's taking a, an angle where obviously diversity is the right thing to do, but I think it's also this, just the smart thing to do. Um, and so the, the article was kind of making a point that there's an arbitrage and arbitrage just means, you know, there's kind of unequal information in, in, a, in, a, in any kind of transaction. So sometimes in, when you find an arbitrage, you can, you can have outsized gains. And so in this arbitrage, it's a situation where when you look at the venture capital community, you know, 90% of the people within the venture community that are making the decisions around how capital is deployed are, you know, white men. Um, and so you've got this almost call it monopoly, not, not a purposeful monopoly, but a monopoly nonetheless. And so what it can do is it can cause bias. And so what, you know, one of the kind of fastest growing business segments in the economy, when you look through the lens is African-American women starting businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look at the statistics of what venture capital has been put in that um, community, it's, it's really zero. It's, I mean, statistically speaking, it's zero. Um, and so you've got kind of a disconnect where you've got a really fast growing segment of the economy and it's not getting any of the capital, which we consider the, the fire starter of our economy, venture capital. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's, there's an arbitrage there. So it's, you know, there's, it's kind of a systemic bias. So people who, can identify, you know, that's those, those really successful, talented entrepreneurs that are getting overlooked um, for, for gender or ethnic reasons. Um, there's a chance to, you know, we, you know smarter money, a, a chance to have, you know, significant impact and have a strong return. Um, so there's, yeah, and that's, um, so it's, it's taking a little different take around, you know, the diversity kind of topic. Well, and, and I know that the different estimates between 60 and $70 trillion in wealth transfers going to happen over the next few decades. So 
much of it to women and millennials, and they've been shown to have a higher interest in uh, higher level of interest in positive impact in their investments. So it's really representing the future from a practical standpoint as well. Yep, exactly. Yeah, just like how you're, if you're seeing the, you know, the, the, um, the actual groups that will be making those decisions. Yeah, the diversity around gender is going to change dramatically. And so there, yeah, there's some considerations around, you know, what, how, what's important to those um, decision makers that will be inheriting that wealth. Hmm. Well, when companies are looking at um, funding and looking at opportunities for funding, how how can they protect their mission through funding cycles and even merger or sale? Because that's that's something a lot of mission-focused companies wrestle with. How do you preserve that even in, as you're getting the necessary capital to grow the business? Yeah, that's a great uh that's a great question. You know, I think you can look at it and different um, pieces. So for instance, if you look at kind of early stage, if you're just starting a company, there's some things that you can do that help, you know, help that. Um, and that's one of those is looking at how do you bake it in to the DNA of the company. And one aspect of that is actually looking at um, becoming a B Corp. Um, so B Corporation is you actually in your operating agreement, you specify that you're going to take, you know, all the stakeholders into consideration when making decisions. Um, so that's, you know, that's an important one to, to, to think about. And I think the other piece is like, what is your value proposition? So I think the more that your whatever product or service that you're thinking about, if that, um, if it's inherently has has social or environmental impact and that's what helps you scale, then you've you've tied the impact with the business success, the financial success. And so that's probably the most profound thing that you can do. So it's not a, an add-on, but it's just, it's vitally important to the success and the growth of the company. So it's not like that the impact and the profitability are, are separate, they're intertwined. And as one grows, so does the other. And that, you know, that's probably the best way that you could protect, um, protect the company. And there's, there's, you know, specific things. There's also, there's, um, there's a website, uh, I think it's called Innovative Impact Terms. And so this is a website that basically pulls together different ways that you can structure deals around mm. trying to protect, uh, protect mission. Um, and you, you know, you want to make sure that your timing, you know, you, if you, if you have a long time horizon, you want to try investors that kind of meet that, you know, meet that same thinking. You can do some things like, um, alternative payback structures. So for instance, instead of taking equity, they may end up getting paid out through some type of a royalty that meets their agreed upon threshold. So then you're not giving up the company, but they're, they're still getting their return. So you're not losing, you're not giving up any ownership or, right. or majority ownership. Yep. yep. And then yeah. uh, super voting stock. So, you know, this is a situation where, you know, say as a founder, you have, even though you may sell control of the company, you may have um, still operating control. So there's a, there's a separation of the um, ownership from the voting rights, or you can have veto around certain aspects of the company around mission. Um, that you want to make sure that are instilled. 
So there's you know, a lot of different ways to, to try to, um, you know, to start to protect that mission. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk about brand, kind of infusing impact into your brand as a way to, the best way to protect your company. Because I think some people go to, well, I have to build it in through legal structure like a benefit corporation or a mission lock. And uh, so it's interesting hearing your perspective. Is the is the brand built into the brand aspect? Do you feel that stronger just because it's so integrally tied to profit and and uh, the income of the company right because it then then there's 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 you, know, you think of it as kind of almost another way to say it is um, aligned incentives um you know the the aligned incentive of the mission and the business performance are together and so there's not this part and you know this you can't do this in every scenario but i think it's if you're at the earlier stage of, of a company it's worth really spending time and asking yourself how you know how can i do this where that is the case I mean, we, we worked with a company called Vital Farms um, and helped them raise uh, their kind of, you know, some initial capital. And that was a really good example where, you know, they're about, um, you know, animal welfare. They're about, you know, supporting small farmers um, and, you know, quality food. And so all, all those reasons or many of those reasons are why customers buy their products and so if they, if they can you know, be true to that brand promise, um, the impact will just follow. Because as, as they grow, if there's some, you know, the people are buying them for the, the impact story um, that they represent. So how do, you, how do you go about finding the right investment partner, the right investor to help with funding? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of, we spend a lot of time um, <laughs> doing that. Uh, you know, big picture, um, I mean, I think sometimes the venture capital community gets uh, stereotyped as you know, sharks and vultures. And I, you know, we just don't, we don't see it that way. I mean, we definitely see that you got to have the people making the decisions that um, understand the mission of the company, respect the mission of the company, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, a couple, couple thoughts. Um, one is that when you're looking, you know, look at those groups and they may not even be called, they may not call themselves impact funds, but have kind of a long-term perspective that understand the value of the mission and the culture of the company and how that does really, you know, ultimately lead to results. Um, and I heard one of this, we had a panel of CEOs that, you know, definitely been around the block and it was one CEO had, had, had taken in both call it traditional capital over his career and then also impact capital. And he, he said, you know something? He goes, no offense to all the private you know, impact private equity folks I've talked to, but everybody says we're going to be value add and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. He said, that's really just be, in his experience. That's not, he's not seen a lot <laughs> of the private equity folks adding value, but he said, what I would say that the difference is between impact and, and traditional investors is when things get tough. And there's a, there's a slip up uh, and, you know, the main profitability or the projections and it's what the impact investors don't do that. Mm. There is this patience of, and this understanding of what really makes the company tick and versus kind of traditional, you know, knee jerk reaction is to cut costs, cut overhead, you know, you know, cut, you know, cut employees that he and his and his experience is when the tough when it got tough it was more of what they didn't do 
And so I thought it was a really interesting, realistic perspective. Um, and I think, you know, I think then it's looking at, you know, there's families that, that invest in companies. And many times the, the families, it's their capital, and they're not, they don't have other um, investors to answer to. So you're, you, that's, that's uh, we've seen in general kind of families can be more flexible and you're, you know, you're dealing directly with the group that's going to be making the investment. And so we're in the funds, they have their investors they have to answer to that can create a, just another level of um, indirectness. So I think, you know, sure. your type, the source of capital matters. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I mean, let's, you know, let's kind of look at this from a from a old school hard nosed business perspective. So, uh, the truth is that when you choose to work with impact investors, you're cutting out a substantial proportion of potential yep. investors. So, what do you? How can that affect raising capital in your experience? I mean, is this is there enough momentum or or critical mass there that companies don't have trouble finding investments or how is that working in the, in the present? Yeah, that's a great, we have a saying that, you know, soft hearts can create soft minds. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're really, we're aware, you know, we, we're cognizant of that because, you know, to, for, for the impact investment community to thrive, it's got to have a really strong foundation. And, you know, some of these, the impacts some of these companies can have, it can be intoxicating. And, you know, as long as you know that you're making, you know, you're, you're aware that you may be making a concession on financial return, it's okay. It's, it's more when you think that, you know, you can have both when in some cases you can't. Um, so I think it, limiting to the impact, I mean, what we've seen is, yeah, it does. It, it shrinks the universe. Um, but what we found, at least with the clients that we work with, by them, um, you know, carving out what their mission is, what they're about. Um, it attracts investors, and um, we'll we find in some cases that we'll have it's, maybe it might be a family office or it might be a fund, and they may not be quote quote unquote impact. Um, but when you look at how they operate, and you look at their history, and you look at their understanding of long term value system, and and kind of base basing their decision on values, it's simpatico. And so what we've seen is that when the company really has, you know, unique culture articulates, you know, how they, their mission drives their performance. Um, it's kind of self-selection around whether they call themselves impact or not. And it's very attractive. So we've seen, I guess is yeah, the number, the overall universe um, is smaller, but we found that it's, you differentiate yourself. And so you make yourself more compelling even if it's a smaller universe. Right. So you, you speak more strongly to the people who are <clears throat> potentially interested as investors. Right. Then. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned B Corps and um, how are you finding that organizations like B Lab and Conscious Capitalism are, are they playing a role in expanding the, the impact investing realm? I, yeah, I think definitely. Um, I mean, I think that they're, um, you know, common language, common metrics, um, you know, B-Lab, I mean, especially on the metric side, not only has created the, the B Corp, the B Impact Assessment, where companies, you know, go through the system of, you know, coming up with a score and then being third-party certified. So you've got it at a company level, but there's also, they've initiated um, 
something called GEARS, Global Impact Investing Rating System, which is uh, where a private equity fund can be rated. And they basically will take the individual portfolio companies' um, scores and roll those up. So then, you know, now then you've got an ability for an institutional investor to look at um, funds and figure out, okay, you know, how is this, you know, ranked, you know, comparing one fund to another around impact. So I think all of these things start to build on themselves and give the industry some infrastructure on which where, where more capital can flow and, and it can do it in a way that's um, smart. Hmm. Well, I've been working with some uh, high growth startups locally. And when the con- conversation comes up around funding, um, there's always a question of locally sourced capital versus looking farther afield. And, and there's an obvious benefit of, of visibility locally. But um, what do you think are the advantages of looking at locally sourced capital versus taking a more geographically expansive view? Yeah, I would say um, it, it depends on the stage. I think the earlier stage, um, you know, more almost the angel stage investor, it's it's nice to have it local. And a lot of times, these angel investors, you know, have are are good operators. You know, they they were successful in the business, and they want to kind of get their hands dirty again. And they are looking for businesses where they can pass on their knowledge and add value. Um, I think as you as you grow, I think having and it could be local. I think it probably depends on where you are. Um, if, mm-hmm. if you've got a good sure. ecosystem. Um, but I think it helps to more find, you know, that capital that can be strategic in it's, it's, you know, value add. Um, and then it may be opening up relationships with new customers. It could be kind of helping them finance as they grow. So they don't have to take on, continue to take on equity. They can you know, do a combination of equity and debt. So they've got some, acumen on the financial side or, you know, thinking about the, Hey, we got to have higher ahead of marketing. You know, how do we go do that? And having people who've gone through that process and can help navigate some of those waters, you know, sometimes you're not going to find that um, locally. It's going to have to be more of a, you know, a group that's has, you know, formed and been more formalized than say an angel, an angel investor. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's way beyond the money at that point. You're looking at what opportunities can they provide perhaps uh, on a direct kind of mentoring level, or can they make connections to networks that can expand your market? Exactly. Exponentially, those kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. So um, I know that the, you're involved in a lot of different initiatives around impact investing. You're, you're, the creator of multiple um, events, including uh, Mo, which is um, Momentum, the conference of uh, high growth, positive impact companies. And you're on the board of the Croatan Institute, for example, which is a, a nonprofit research institute. How do you see all these things coming together to, uh, well, help your business mm-hmm. and also to contribute to uh, the, the work that you're doing? I, th- um, I mean, for us, I think because we got started, um, you know, got started in 2007 and um, it was pretty early, I think, in all of this. Uh, so part of it was as at the same time of uh, helping companies was also to create the ecosystem that needed to be built. Um, 
So it was like, as you know, we had to you know, make sure that there were investors out there that would want to invest in some of these companies. So part of that was creating convenings where, you know, you could bring people together and they could learn from one another um, about how to do this. Um, and so there's so much kind of, you know, learning from other people. So I think, yeah, I think it was part of, we had to, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention. So I mean, as we looked at, you know, trying to help grow the industry, we realized that there was some, you know, some convenings and some connections and dots. Cause we do the role that we play. It is, it is kind of an interesting vantage point because, you know, we, we work with the impact companies. So we know that side of it. Um, we work, you know, we're a, what's called a placement agent for funds. So we help the funds, the impact funds. We've worked over, with over 150 impact fund managers. So we know that world. And then we know the families and the foundations and institutional investors. So, you know, where we were in a, a nice vantage point to know each of those different groups and realize, Hey, there's, there's value in, in bringing those groups together and helping to, to connect the dots. So how much do you get involved in mergers and acquisitions? Cause I know M and A's. Yeah. It's so, yeah. So like our, in our business model, um, we work with about half of our work is with companies. And um, in that we, we either help companies raise capital or, you know, buy or sell companies. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a good 30 or 40% of our business. The other half of our business, we work with funds. So, you know, private equity, venture capital funds, helping them raise their capital. Um, so yeah, I would say like we've got right now, we're working with four companies, actually three of which are B Corps. Um, and two of those will probably be, uh, you know, an acquisition that we actually help, we help them sell to a different company or a family. Yeah. So Michael, I'm really interested to kind of understand how uh, and hear about how has this commitment to impact, is it, how has it affected your own company? Because it's one thing to be in the marketplace in that way, but it's infusing impact throughout a company. It's a challenge. And um, so how are you, how has that commitment to impact affected how you run your own company? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think for us, it's, um, you know, seeing, you know, one of the pieces, and I think when you go back to, if you look at the B Corp, you know, how they, how they break down, you know, how you arrive at a score. Um, we look a lot of those at those categories. So, you know, one of the categories we do really well on is, you know, the percentage of revenue that is kind of focused on positive impact. Um, and for us, that's a hundred percent because all of our clients have to have some type of a, you know, positive um, impact for us to work with them. But, you know, areas that we, you know, we don't do that well on are, you know, diversity from an ownership perspective. So, you know, that really, um, and, and we know the value of, you know, of diversity of thought, of diversity of background. And so that's, that's definitely led us in our past few hires to make sure that, you know, we did have that, um, within our organization, just because we think it's, we'll, we'll make better decisions um, along the way. Um, and we, we had a recent example where we were looking to hire someone and kind of the, call it the, you know, a couple of us that had kind of more similar backgrounds were ready to hire this other person and someone, you know, lower within the organization had a different background, had a call with a person, something just didn't feel right. 
and um, we started digging into it and you know this person was was spot on and so just that just that kind of diversity of thought background perspective helped us really prevent from making a hire that we shouldn't have made um, which you know obviously there's gonna especially in a smaller organization can have really you know large impacts so uh, you know yes yeah, so that's it, it's helped us kind of think about ways that we can improve you know to be a um, you know to be what we aspire to be well, it sounds like it's contributed to having a flatter organizational structure as well, where more people have a say in, you know, sort of stereotypically management decisions. Right. That's, yeah, no, you're right. We would definitely are, you know, we look to have, you know, kind of information going both ways and people, if they don't feel like something's going in the right direction, to have the confidence to say, no, we, we got to relook at this and not feel like there's going to be ramifications. So we, you know, we really support and want that from you know throughout throughout our company yeah and you mentioned b corp you you're you are a certified b corp big path capital is and uh, there's a rigorous process to get that certification so it really makes you think about every aspect of how you run the company and exactly and ways and ways that you can expand on that right exactly right yeah well um what have you found that are have been kind of your personal obstacles or barriers that you've bumped up against as you've grown your company? Are there things that you have learned about how you do business that uh, has informed your path? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, for me, it was like another, you know, a child. (laughs) When you raise a child, (laughs) you know, just like um, you, you you agonize over the little stuff. Um, you know, what color is my logo going to be? How's it going to look at it? And you got the bigger <laughs> stuff too that, you know, just like when a child, it's like you, you kind of sweat all the details. And that was, I, I didn't, I didn't realize in starting a company that it would, it would feel that personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it was interesting because about the time I started, uh, the company, I had a child. And so it's interesting. You know, I've definitely thought about as he's grown up and seen the different, you know, phases and, that he's gone through, I feel like the art company has kind of mimicked, mimicked some <laughs> of his development, you know, <laughs> milestones. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that because I know there are people that staunchly argue for the fact that a company is not a child. And my experience has been, I don't have children, but my experience has been, it's very much personal and I don't think that's a bad thing. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, totally agree. But yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that whole question values and how you apply them it's not a stamp or a veneer you put on something it's very much a reflection of the people that are heading the company right exactly yeah Yeah. exactly what kind of values drive your business decisions and your the way that you work in your company um for for us i think for me um i think you know high integrity is i think is right up there and in, in a um a real uh, sense of where the client it's a real sense of caring um, and, and you know truly being you know and being stewards like I, I sometimes I, I am so um, I get like humbled is, is the right word to be invited into these you know CEOs lives and you know they've 
crafted something that could be 20, 30 years old. And then they're, and you know, at some level and trusting us to help them, you know, make the transition of the company to the right hands. And so that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but it, you know, it feels like that's a big level of trust. And I want to make sure that we match that and, and our care and how we, you know, think about it being like our company in that, in a sense. Um, so I think making sure that the, there's a really a level of humanity and, you know, personal caring about, you know, what we do. Great. Well, Michael, the way that uh, I always wrap up these interviews is to do a rapid round of three questions. Are you ready for those? I think so. I'll try. <laughs> okay, great. So the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? I think uh, it's, to me, it's the, the myth that still exists that um, you can't have market rate returns and have impact. I think it was uh, Mark and Dreesen that said, you know, impact investing was like a houseboat. It's not a good house and it's not a good boat. Um, <laughs> and we, we subscribe to, it's more like brunch. It's, it's better than breakfast and it's better than lunch. <laughs> that's great. Second question is what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I would say just the, you know, persistence, you know, it's 99% persistence, 1% inspiration um, mm -hmm. is just the, you know, you stay at something. I mean, for me, it was kind of 15 years in the making to, to eventually kind of move my career into where I felt like it was a vocation. And I, you know, at some point I thought that was just a pipe dream. And, but it was, you know, it was a 15 year, you know, kind of like a quest that it, it finally, you know, got realized. That's great. And the last question is what's one piece of advice or some insight you'd share with someone else uh, who's asking themselves, how can I positively affect things? How can I have impact? I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, this, this, it can sound a little woo woo, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think when you like uh, are coming back to the persistence and you are like following, you know, what you think your path is uh, and your special path, um, I've heard the term, you know, the universe conspires to make that happen. And I, I think there is some, I don't, I don't understand it, but I think that is kind of a truth is when you are, you know, true to who you should be, that, that doors do open and things do, um, you know, com, you know, form to, to help kind of make that path clear. Yeah. I'm, that's been my experience too. So thank you for sharing that. And Michael, thank you for being here today. Uh, I think that, uh, People have learned a lot about impact investing and the, another way to look at how we can move forward in the economy that isn't just so narrowly profit-focused. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ursula. Glad, glad you asked me. So how, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Probably uh, email. It's just um, it's michael at uh, bigpathcapital.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you again, Michael. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Join us for more episodes, subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word, leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, 
Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.